All right, well, if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 3. And if you've been following with us, you know where we're going to be next. And that is John 3.16. So uh, one of the most well-known uh, verses in all of Scripture. We're going to be in 16 through 21. Now, I will say, most of the time when we look at this passage, we're really good at looking at 16, but we're not so good at looking at the rest. So <laughs> my hope for this morning is that as we study this word in its entirety, that you'll see how the, the, the whole section of this scripture is all good news for you and for I. And so um, if you've got your Bibles, John three sixteen through 21. Uh, last week, we looked at the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And in that conversation, Jesus expressed to him that in order to see the kingdom of God, one must be born again. They must be made new. They must be transformed uh, and spiritually revived. But then we see at the very end of that passage, we saw this parallel between Moses lifting up the golden snake and Jesus being lifted up on the cross. And now, after that, we get into the most well-known verse probably in the entirety of the Bible. Now, the, the funny thing is, this is probably one of the most well-known verses. This is probably some of the first verses that you learned about uh, before you became a Christian. I know for me, this was, this was a verse that, that I knew before I became a Christian because it was a, a verse used many times to share the gospel with others. But I think for many of us, it may not be our favorite, but it is one that we are all very, very familiar with. But the question is, how familiar we are with the rest and how does it fit into this conversation? And we can't help but think of the gospel when we look at this passage, which is why I titled this message this morning, The Gospel, because that's what we're going to be talking about. And so by gospel, what we're doing is we're referring to the good news of Jesus. That's what gospel means. Gospel means good news. However, the gospel is more than just Jesus's time on earth and his death and resurrection. The entire story of the gospel isn't just John 3, 16. It's the entire narrative of Scripture all come together. It's God, it's man, it's Christ, and it's our response. It's, it's, the, it's the future of God's promises to us with the new world. And, and it's, it's this entire book is, is all this, the good news is. And so we look at John 3, 16, and yes, it's important to understand Jesus' life and, and his, his huge role in the gospel, but... But as we look at this verse this morning, as we look at this passage, my hope is that we'll see and experience the fullness of the gospel. That Jesus doesn't just, doesn't just refer to what God sent him to do, but he also refers to our broken condition. He also refers to the fall. He refers to what we struggled with all throughout the Old Testament. He talks about this atonement that we need for our sins. And that Jesus is the only one who can fulfill it. And God, who loved us so much, gave his son so that we can have eternal life in him and that eternal life with him forever in heaven. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at just a few verses, but these verses encompass so much more than just what we see here. But it gives us the grand narrative of scripture, what all of this is all about, the good news of Jesus and the exaltation of our Lord, our God. So John three sixteen through 21 says this, or John three sixteen through 21 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, but it does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works may have been carried out in God. We pray with me this morning. Father God, pray this morning as we study this word, God, that you would help us to see the fullness of the gospel. God, that Jesus wasn't an afterthought. God, that, that you sending your son wasn't plan B, but God, it was plan A. God, that, that you sought to redeem us from our sin. God, to draw us to yourself and Father, for you to be glorified. God, I pray that as we look at this scripture, Father, that we would see our need for you. God, one of the things that causes us to stumble regularly or for one of the things that causes people to not trust in you, Father, is that their heart is hardened to you, God, that they don't recognize their need for you. So, Father, I pray this morning, God, if there's anyone here that doesn't belong to you, Father, that you would soften their heart to your word. God, help them to see their need for you. And, Father, for those of us who do belong to you, for those of us that would proclaim Christ and have trusted in you, God, I pray that you would help us to see our continued need for you. Father, that the gospel doesn't just end when we become Christians, but God, the gospel plays an integral, integral role in our life each and every day. So God, we thank you for this word. God, we thank you that this word is familiar to so many. Father, even those who don't believe in God, I pray this morning as we look at the gospel and God, later this morning as we look at how to share the gospel, Father, that we would take these things and share it with others. And so, God, I thank you for this morning. God, thank you for allowing us to gather. And God, we thank you for your word. It's your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's look at this most famous verse in Scripture. Let's start at the beginning. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so we look at this passage and we have to ask ourselves, what does this mean? So I think the best way for us to look at this is we're going to break this down in even smaller little sections because there's a word that we miss in this that is so incredibly important to this conversation with Nicodemus. So to truly understand this, we got to look at the very first word in this passage, and it's the word for. And when we often look at scripture, sometimes we take things out of context or pull it out to examine them without looking at what becomes what comes before or after them, because often... These, these words mean so much more and go so much deeper when we understand the fullness of their context. Here's what I mean by that. I, I'm going to use food as an example. If you've ever had a really, really, really good cheeseburger or like a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A, you understand that the filet is good. The meat is good, right? But that doesn't make the sandwich complete. You need the buns. You need the pickles. You need the, the butter, whatever it is that you put on it, because the sandwich as a whole is even better than what you eat on, on your own. In the same way it works with scripture. 
We could pull this out in John 3.16 by itself as a great passage. But when we look at it in its entirety, when we look at what happens before, what leads to this statement that Jesus gives us, and then to see why he needed to make this statement, why we need the gospel, it penetrates so much deeper into our hearts, into our lives. It tells us so much more of why we needed him to die on the cross for our sins and how loving our God is. So when we look at the word for or therefore, we have to look at what became what came before. So verses 14 to 15 of John 3 says this. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So in this statement, what Jesus is doing is he's contrasting Moses's lifting up of the serpent and God having to raise up his only son. But then he says this, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Can you see the impact of that when those are combined together? When we see, well, what was God doing that was so loving? Well, God was lifting up his one and only son for us. In the same way that Moses lifted up the snake for salvation, for eternal life, that's how much God loves you and I. It's calling back to the picture of Jesus being lifted up on the cross. And now when we look at this passage, for God so loved the world, in our English uh, language, we like to add in words to emphasize points. So when we look at this, we, we read it and we go, for God so loved the world. And here's what it's not, because some of us may read it like this. God loves the world this much that he gave his only son. Or uh, when my boys are really hungry and they really want us to understand how hungry they are, they go, I'm so, so, so hungry. <laughs> like they just add in that last so with a bunch of O's in it when they're really, really, really hungry. But, but is that what, what is being expressed here? No, it's not. And, and I, it, it could be seen as that way. Well, God loves us so incredibly much that he gave his only son. But when we understand the picture that he presents earlier, that, that God raises up Jesus on the cross, we really have to read this verse like this. For God loved the world in this way. God loved the world in this way that he would give his only son for us. The words are important. That so isn't a expansion of love. Rather, it's a declaration of love. It's, a, it's an expression of this is the way God loves us, is that he would give his only son who we know Jesus is God who came down from heaven to live a earthly life, to be hated by those around him, those that he knew, those that he loved, to be sacrificed on a cross and to die a death that you and I deserve. That is how God loves us. They may be thinking that this is, this is cruel to Jesus. Right, if God is so loving, why would he send his son to die for us? Well, God loves us so much that he would send his son to die for us. His son 
who is himself God. God himself loves us so much that he's coming to us to save us. I mean, how many other, other faiths that would claim that they know the truth have a God who would come to them, who would sacrifice himself for them, who would live a, a earthly, messy life for them? None of them ever would. But God is so humble, so loving, so good that he did that for you and for me. And so the rest of this passage, he that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the good news. That God gave his only son for an atonement of our sins. And whoever puts their, their trust and faith in him will not die an eternal death but have eternal life with him forever. Amen. This is the beauty of the gospel. That God gave his only son over for a world that hated him. Think about that for a moment. Jesus was not brought into this world with, with proud declaration from this world. He was hated every step of the way. King Herod, who was power, had power over that time, didn't welcome Jesus with open arms. He wanted him dead. He saw him as a threat. The Pharisees, who should have known this is the Messiah, who were the religious leaders at the time, who were righteous, they hated Jesus. But yet, even in the world's hatred to him, Jesus still came to die. And he did so because he loves us so much. God gave his only son for a world that hated him. And he did this out of a great abundance of love. That we may know him, that we may be redeemed. There are people that have hated God, but then came to love him and to know him deeply how often do we do that how often do we love people genuinely who truly don't like us or might even say they hate us we don't it's hard for us to love like that but god's love is supernatural a lot god's love is unconditional that we don't do anything to deserve his love or earn it but he gives it to us freely so John 3.16 is great news. It's amazing and wonderful news. So what's the rest of this verse have to do with this? Let's look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay, so we have the good news, but then we have what did Jesus come to do? He came to save us. Now, verse 17 is interesting because when the religious leaders think of the Messiah, when the Pharisees would think about this one who would deliver them from their bondage, from their enslavement, kind of like what Moses did with the Israelites back in the Exodus, that's what they were looking for. They were looking for a conqueror. They were looking for someone who's going to come in and, and, and see the Roman authority and go, get out of here, I'm in charge now. They were looking for somebody who was going to ride in on some white horse and, and come in with some grand army and conquer everything. They were looking for a warrior. They were looking for the kind of king in their mind that would take over everything and rule over all and bring them out of oppression. But the problem is that the Pharisees had it wrong with who they were truly enslaved to. It wasn't the Romans, it was sin. Sin was the one that entrapped us. Sin was the one that we were enslaved to. Yes, they were still under the Roman authority, and yes, there were governments after Roman, Rome that, that didn't treat Christians very well, and some that still don't. 
But Jesus didn't come to deliver us from worldly authorities. He came to deliver us from eternal sin. He came to deliver us from the sin of this world. And so in this passage, he's saying that he didn't come to this world to condemn the world. He came that it would be saved through him. And so we have to look at this passage again, though, because sometimes we miss this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That, that this is where it becomes challenging for some. Okay, we keep talking about salvation. What is he saving us from? What is he saving us from? Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. What did he come to do? What do we need saving from? Well, we need saving from our sins. See, the Bible teaches that this condemnation has already been cast on us. I think sometimes when we think of the gospel or we think of our lives, we think of it as we die, we kind of enter this courtroom and, and we go up to the judge and, and, and God pronounces judgment on us for our sins. That's kind of how we've always pictured it. But realistically, when we look at scripture, when we look at the way that, that uh, every one of these biblical authors talk about sin, they don't talk about it in this way that we rack up all this debt and then we go to God and he says, well, because you did all these sins, you can't be with me. That's not the way it technically works. Really, it's more that we've already been condemned. We've already been given our, our final sentence, if you're, we're using court terms. And we've already been condemned because of sin. God doesn't, doesn't take a huge list of sins and goes, okay, when you hit this limit, then you are condemned and you can't be with me. It's from the very get-go, because of sin, we are already separated from God. We are condemned already. That's why when Ephesians chapter 2 talks about being raised from death, literally we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We've already been separated from God. We've already been lost over to sins. Our hearts have already been, been won over to sin. But to escape this condemnation, to escape this judgment... What God does is he sends his only son that we can have reconciliation in him. We've already been condemned to our fate, and that is eternal death away from him forever. Judgment has already been cast on us. And we fail to understand that because of sin, that we are already condemned. We are already broken. We don't become broken. We are born broken. And this judgment is just. You may think, well, that's cruel. That doesn't make any sense. But see, we fall short of a righteous and holy God. And our God is, is righteous in his judgment. And here's a couple of passages from Romans that give us a little bit of a better picture of this. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23a says, For the wages of sin is death. See, we already come out of the gate condemned because of our sin. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's no amount of work. There's no amount of going to church. There's no amount of money. There's nothing we can do on our own to save ourselves from our sins. We just can't do it. I mean, think about it in terms of finances, right? Uh, in, in, in our lives, we are familiar with debt. 
And as we accumulate debt, there's interest on that debt. And that debt gets larger and larger and larger and larger as time goes by. And it comes to a point to where people either can't pay it off or they have to declare bankruptcy for the loan to be forgiven. Well, the problem with, with us and with sin is that this sin has accrued such a large debt against us that there's literally nothing we can do to ever pay that debt off. We can't work enough. We can't pay enough. We can't save enough. We can't try to live righteously enough. There's literally nothing we can do to pay the debt that we owe God, to pay the penalty for our sin. We can't do it, but we try to. We try to clean ourselves up before we come to God. We, we try to, to make ourselves righteous on the outside, but we're rotting from within. You can't make a dead person look alive as much as you try to, as much as you can try to make, make something broken look well. A broken object is a broken object, and, and we need the absolute repair of God in our lives to fix our hearts. It's like a wound that has been, that has been opened and it's festering and we try to put band-aids on it, but we need surgery. So how does this work then with, with Jesus? If we owe this great debt to God and we can never pay it off no matter what we do, then what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to pay it in full. Jesus came to serve as an atonement of our sin that he would pay the price that we owe to God and he paid it once and for all. It wasn't like bankruptcy or paying off a credit card. When you pay it off, it's still there. And if you start using it, you incur more debt. That's not like that at all. When you become a Christian and you become saved and you trust in Jesus for the salvation of your life and he dwells within you, your debt is paid once and for all. It means that even as you walk through this life, when you live imperfect, imperfectly, which you will, your debt has still been paid by the blood of the Lamb. And nothing can take that away. Then this passage continues to carry on with this reality. And for what it means for those who don't believe. Look at verse 19 with me. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. It does not come to the light. Lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So Jesus continues to talk about this broken condition that people were introduced to the light, but they rejected it and they loved the darkness more. They loved their wicked deeds more. It's kind of like Romans chapter one, for example, when, when the Bible talks about how God gave them over to their sins and gave them over to the things that they desired over him. People aren't willing to let go of their, per, their wicked deeds. They prefer sin. But Jesus then gives us a comparison between two different individuals. Someone, one, this first person carries out their wicked deeds and continues in brokenness. They do not want their sin exposed and they don't want to admit their need of salvation from sin. See, this is, this is where a lot of people get hung up on the gospel. I think a lot of people, if you're sharing your faith with somebody, They'll agree, yeah, I believe things in the Bible are true. Okay, great. Yeah, I believe that there's a God. Okay, that's awesome. You know, I even believe that Jesus was here on this earth. Okay, that's wonderful. Oh, and I, and I believe that Jesus did a lot of really good things and performed these great miracles. Okay, great. But here's where a lot of people get, get caught up. And a lot of people don't end up truly trusting the Lord is that they don't recognize their need for a Savior. 
They don't recognize their broken condition. They, they love their life the way it is, the things of this world, their own deeds, their own hearts, more than they can recognize their broken condition and submit to their Savior. See, a lot of people have difficulty admitting when they need help. And this is one of those areas where we need the Holy Spirit to work in us, to soften our hearts so that we may know God and recognize our brokenness. Because I, I believe, church, that until someone recognizes their brokenness and truly submits their life over to Jesus, they're not truly submitting. They're not truly trusting. We have to recognize that we are broken and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. So the next thing, the next kind of person is one who pursues the light. This is one who believes. And they do good deeds, not for their own gain, but for God and His glory. And their deeds are good and reflect that of a born-again heart. Now, I shared these passages from Romans with you earlier, and it seemed kind of downer and it seemed kind of sad, right? Well, let's finish those passages because there's good news in both of them. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. So although all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, God in his love for us gave us Jesus so that we may be redeemed in him and through him. And then Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life and Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the heart of the gospel, that God would send his one and only son to live a perfect life and die a death that you and I deserve. He did so for a world that hated him and people who were already condemned. For all who believe and put their faith and trust in Christ, they may be made new and delivered from their brokenness. That is the gospel. Now, I told you this morning we were going to do something a little bit different a little bit later on in terms of sharing the gospel. I want to spend the remainder of our time this morning looking at the gospel through a different lens because we look at it through John 3.16, which is great, but I mentioned that when we want to understand the entirety of the gospel, it's good for us to understand how does it work from the beginning to the end. And so here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. We are going to look at a method of sharing your faith and a method of sharing the gospel called the three circles. And so I'm going to have it on the screen on, on how it works, but here's what I want you to do. Okay. This is going to, this is interactive today. Okay. If you have a pen or you have your uh, bulletin, I encourage you to turn it over to the back. And draw this as we work through the gospel in three circles. And here's what I encourage you to do. When you get the opportunity to share your faith with somebody, when you get the opportunity to share the gospel, this is an incredible method for you to visualize to somebody what the gospel is and their need for Jesus. Uh, If you are somebody who doesn't like to draw, there's also an app. If you look at the app store and go three circles, it's called the Life Uh, conversations app, it pulls you through the same thing. So uh, we're going to look at this. And and as I studied the sermon, guys, it just, it just occurred to me that this is an incredible tool to use in sharing our faith and visualizing the gospel. And I felt that it would be good for us to work through this together as a church, as we end our time here this morning. And here's my hope this morning, as we look at this tool, the first is for those who are already Christians this morning, 
My hope is that you'll use this tool to share the gospel clearly with others who need to hear it and that you would use this as a guide to sharing your faith. Because these hit on all the major points of the gospel and it gives you scripture too. <laughs> and for those who don't profess faith in Christ this morning, maybe, maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with him. My hope is that you'll see the good news of the gospel on display. So let's walk through these three circles together. The first circle if you draw a circle, is God's design. God's design. We see beauty and purpose and evidence in God's design around us in this world. The Bible tells us that God originally planned a world that worked perfectly, where everything and everyone fit together in harmony. God made each of us with a purpose to worship him and walk with him. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the work of his hands. This is this, this, this chapter in Genesis where everything is good, where God has made everything and he's declared it as good, where God has made uh, man, man and woman, he's declared those things very good, and, and they were made in his image, and everything was great. Well, then it didn't take long for us to fall into sin. So the next one is an arrow, sin from God's design. We selfishly insist on doing things our own way, and the Bible calls this sin. We all sin and distort God's original design, and the consequence, of, the consequence of our sin is separation from God in this life and for all eternity. So Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world when they disobeyed God, and since then, sin has drawn us away from God's original design. It has separated us from God, and there has been nothing that we can do to mend that relationship and to mend those broken things. The Bible says again, Romans 3.23, we talked about that earlier, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But sin leads us to a place of brokenness. So the next circle is brokenness with these little squiggly lines on the outside. And I'll explain what those are in a second. Sin leads us to a place of brokenness. We see this all around us and in our lives as well. When we realize life is not working, we begin to look for a way out. We tend to go in many directions, trying things to figure it out on our own. Brokenness leads to a place of realizing a need for something greater. And this is the Romans 1 passage, Romans 1.25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served something created rather than the creator. In our brokenness, in our sin... Instead of pursuing the creator, instead of pursuing God, being reconciled to him, we try to fix that brokenness on our own. Maybe we do that with pursuing after a job and making that the most important things in our life. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's substances that, that, that nullify us or, or make us numb. Or maybe it's, it's our phones or maybe it's screens or whatever the case may be. These broken things don't mend our heart. It's like, again, putting a Band-Aid on a wound that needs surgery. We can't fix those things ourselves. We can't fix the brokenness in our hearts ourselves. That's what the squiggly lines are for. They're directions in which we try to go to mend our brokenness, but we can't fix those things ourselves. However, God, in his, good, in his goodness for, or in his love for us, didn't leave us in a broken state. He gave us his son, and that's the gospel. That's the final circle. The gospel. We need a remedy. We need some good news because this is bad news. That we are broken and we can't do anything to save ourselves. But because of his love for us, God did not leave us in our brokenness. Jesus, God in human flesh, came to us and lived 
perfectly according to God's design. Jesus came to rescue us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He took our sin and shame to the cross, paying the penalty for our sin by his death. Jesus was then raised from the dead to provide the only way for us to be rescued and restored in a relationship with God. This is the key verse for this one. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So in the gospel, we respond to it by repenting and believing. That's the next arrow. We go from brokenness, pursuing the gospel by repenting and believing. This means that we turn from our sins. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. Romans 10.9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not going to church more. It's not fixing yourself. It is literally going to God broken and seeking redemption and trusting in Him for salvation. For He is the only one who can mend our brokenness. But that's not the end of the story. See, sometimes we go, okay, you know, now you're saved. Okay, great. You're good. Go do your own thing until you die. And then we all get to rendezvous together in heaven. That's, that's not where the story ends because it gets better. The last arrow goes from the gospel to God's design and it's recover and pursue. Recover and pursue. When God restores our relationship to him, we begin to discover meaning and purpose in a broken world. And now we can pursue God's design in all areas of our life. Even when we fall, we understand God's pathway to be restored. The same good news of Jesus. God's Spirit empowers us to pursue His design and assures us of His presence in this life and for all eternity. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God who is working in you, enabling you to both desire and to work out His good purpose. This is the three circles method, and this is a larger picture of the gospel. And my hope for you is that you know the Lord deeply and that you've turned from your state of brokenness, you've trusted in him, and now you are growing in him each and every day. So as we have this time of closing and we have this time of invitation, I invite you to know the, or to know the Lord, to trust in him for salvation. And maybe you're, you're somebody this morning that you have a relationship with Jesus. My hope for you is that you'll be reminded of the gospel each and every day, that God has delivered you from brokenness and he is making you anew each and every day. And he's drawing you to himself. Pray that God would continue to draw you to himself and continue to grow you in your relationship with him. Will you pray with me this morning as we have our time of invitation? Lord, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news. Father, we pray that we don't discount the gospel. God, we pray that we don't disregard the gospel. God, we pray we don't forget the gospel. God, I pray that it's something we remind ourselves of each and every day, Father, that we are reminded of your immense and incredible love for us. God, that you would not leave us in a broken state. God, that you would not leave us in brokenness, but God, that you came to us. God, that you pursued us. God, that you loved us so much that you would give your only son to us. Father, we may be redeemed to you. God, it is an, it is an incredible act of love that we can't reciprocate. God, that we don't deserve God, that we've not earned, but you gave it to us freely. God, I pray 
for anyone in this room, Father, that ever doubts your love, God, they would be reminded of how much you love them. God, that you sent your son to die for them, to live a perfect life, and you have restored your son from the dead. And God, one day he will return. And Father, I pray, God, for everyone in this room, and and God, for anyone who may be listening or, or watching, God, that they would know you deeper. God, they would trust you in every aspect of their life. And God, I pray for anyone that doesn't know you. God, who's never put their faith and trust in you. God, that they would. Father, the Bible teaches that all we have to do is to believe in our heart and God confesses our mouth. And Father, you do the rest. God, it's through the confession of our sins and the confession, God, that you are Lord. Father, that we submit our lives to you. God, it's through belief that we have trust that we have faith in you. God, that our heart then belongs to you. God, that you transform us from the inside out. So God, I pray for everyone here this morning. God, I pray for this time of invitation. Father, as we invite others to respond to this text. God, maybe it's, it's one of those things where they just need prayer this morning. God, I pray, uh, Father, they would seek that out. God, they would seek the comfort of the community of the local church. And God, we thank you for your love for us. And God, we thank you for your son. It's in his holy and precious name we pray. Amen.